You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival Podcast. I am Matthew Baker, and I perform a comedy stunt show at the Moisture Festival. And I'm Louie Fox, and I perform a comedy magic show and hand shadow puppets at the Moisture Festival. If you're new to this program and don't know exactly what the Moisture Festival is, the Moisture Festival is a four-week festival celebrating the variety arts, and it happens in the city of Seattle. They've got the new venue, which is the Broadway Performance Hall. Now, this is the largest festival of its kind in the world and features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, the Moisture Festival also hosts a week of burlesque shows. Yeah. Now, if you're listening to this during the festival or around festival time, be sure to get tickets now because 95% of the shows sell out. You can get tickets to all of the shows by visiting the website moisturefestival.org. On this episode, we welcome in via Zoom the great Alex Feldman. We talk about comedy dell'arte. We talk about giving people on the street money and finding the sliver of humanity in everything. Yeah, uh, we talk about his philosophy about finding uh, the funny in every different culture because he's performed all around the world as his character, Alex the Jester. It's a great conversation with a Moisture Festival favorite. Let's get to it. Yep. Our guest is a non-verbal comedian who has toured the world performing as his stage character, Alex the Jester. He's appeared at the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal and America's Got Talent, Showtime, and Off-Broadway. We welcome in Alex Feldman. Yay! I like how we have a non-verbal guy on an audio thing. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) I always thought, like, it's funny when people say off-Broadway. I'm like, well, how far off of Broadway? Is it like Tucson off-Broadway or is it... (laughs) It actually was the uh, biggest off-Broadway theater. There's also off-off-Broadway. But I was there on the dark night when they needed to fill something, you know. Ah. But I was still psyched. It was the Lucy Lortel Theater. And um, it was the original off-Broadway. I think it opened like, in the 50s. Nice. Well, and go ahead. I'll just say, the fun thing is, when you perform at the Ma- Moisture Fest this year, you'll actually be on Broadway in Seattle. Oh, yes, I true. Know, yes, I saw the name. <laughs> I just, I just hope we'll have as much fun backstage without a beer tap always flowing. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna have to make that make sure that happens because uh, that is one of the selling points of performing there. <laughs> no, truthfully, the the camaraderie backstage and the trading that goes on is the the huge selling point to get acts from all over to to work in this arrangement. Yep. Now, real now, quick, would you go ahead, Louis? Let's take a let's back up a second and how do you describe what you do? I like to make people laugh in all languages, <laughs> wherever they're from. I'm very a very curious cat about that small sliver of comedy that somehow can transcend age and, and language. 
Nice. And so, you, but you do physical stuff. I mean, you do, do you juggle, do you do magic or all the above or? I borrow from a whole bunch of disciplines. I almost wish there was one just for us nonverbal visual comedians, you know, but there isn't. And uh, I really do get into trying to figure out those few things that cut across because there's a lot of things that are nonverbal, but they still are pay attention to culture. Uh, like right now, if you're watching me, I'm like saying, come here, by pointing my fingers upwards with they curl. You know, mm -hmm. um, in Japan, they go like this. This means come here. Ah. If you, if you go like, if you curl so you your fingers up. 180 degrees, so the fingers are pointing down. Yes. That's for our um, non-visual audience. Thank you, Louis. And for the, <laughs> and when you curl the fingers up in Japan, that's how you call your dog. So if you say that to me, you're calling me a dog. And so even though it's nonverbal, it's still very specific to culture. But there still are plenty of things that everywhere, like when you look embarrassed or ashamed, that works everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. having screw ups is definitely a big part of the show, having screw ups. And since I'm so forgetful about things, I often have at least one real screw up in the show. And so when I have a couple of fake screw ups that I've thrown in there, only those of you who've watched this show, you know, a third or fourth time realize, oh, there there's that's the plan to screw up that one he really he should have been paying attention or or we'd be like that's a new bit <laughs> yeah and then you're like, what do you say when someone goes that's a new bit yeah. you can go oh no not really or you go yeah that is a, that is a new bit i'm glad you caught that hammering it out well it says you know i read somewhere that it this nonverbal communication performance was an accidental experiment did you how did you come in Come into the. Was it an accident that well, discovered that you can get laughs from not talking? Um, well, I actually, be, I became an accidental expert in nonverbal communication. Ah, gotcha. And I give talks about it. I have a TED talk, TEDx talk about the value of nonverbal communication, and I'm an expert accidentally because I didn't see. I was just trying to, you know, not bomb on stage, you know, and make a living without using words, and also without being a mime. I'm not a mime. I. I I talk. I just don't. I talk a, a gibberish. It's a mixture of a word from this language, a word from that language, make up a few sounds, you know. Uh, so, but, but there was another accident that was really helpful was Just for Laughs invited me to their festival. And then and this is a long time ago before, before, you know, they'd call you up and then they'd say, uh, by the way, we want you to do the French section of the festival. And at this point, I was still, you know, finding my way, telling and doing a trick, saying a joke. And now for my next routine, you know, that kind of, mm -hmm. and there's the big finish. You know, I would be just doing the patter. And they said, can you do it in uh, French? And I was like, uh, oui, oui, sure. I mean, bien sûr, you know. And then when I hung up, I was like, okay, okay. I, I had French in high school, but I, it was bad. So I, I hired a tutor and a tutor got my whole show translated in France, French. Mm -hmm. So I went up there all psyched because it's a good festival. And um, I had trouble. I was, you know, if you translate your show, yeah. humor oh my God. And I wasn't, I, like if you lived there and spoke your French fluently, but badly, that's charming. I couldn't even, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing, but I had a plan B. That was to um, do it French gibberish. Like, just making up gibberish. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, the first day of having of like, what did I do? I, I'm going to be found out. I'm an imposter. I'm going to be, I'll never work in this business again. <laughs> the next day I did the French gibberish. And I'd like to say that that totally changed it. And they were laughing so hard. 
uh, but they weren't. They weren't <laughs> laughing that hard. But but they did have something I had never seen before, which was an attentiveness. Because if you're doing verbal humor, you can take your eyes off the uh, routine for a second or two. You know, you could look at your phone and still think you're you're getting getting it. But with visual humor, as long as it's interesting, you will keep them. And then eventually, I was able to build back the jokes. The laughs that I had lost from doing this plan B eventually built back and eventually it got even denser because, you know, I just was so psyched because there's part of my heart that's always wanted to know, like, well, you know, you've heard about like uh, tribes that have been contacted yet. Yeah. I was like such a, a, a geek about knowing everything about these different tribes. And I always dreamed that I'd get to go see, the, I'd be that front person before the scientists come, you know, and then now I learn, of course, you give them smallpox when you do that. Now <laughs> you don't do that. But in my mind, I wanted to figure out how could you come across non-threatening, gentle, and, and someone you want to play with. Mm-hmm. And so that guided me through my initial um, uh, struggles with trying to suddenly change my act from from being language-based to being gibberish-based. I see yeah. you, you've worked with Clowns Without Borders, and so has that kind of style helped you with, with things? Yes, like tremendously, yes. Um, and that was also, they had a new challenge because after a while I got spoiled working mostly, uh, I like subtlety in my nonverbal. I love just going like, you can tell the radio eyes, I'm just waggling my eyebrows or just looking to those small movements. Clowns of the borders, you got to go back. That was back to being outdoor performing with with no real, with all all the vagaries of, of you know, sun in the eyes, dust, all that stuff. So you have to be broad again. Mm-hmm. But, the, but I'm glad you noticed it. And I think some of the Moisture Fest performers, like Louis Louis Lichtenstein, for example, yep. is the artistic director. He's, he's been there so many times and uh, he is, he's, he's got a lot of performers to do it. And it is so cool when you connect it's like, um, it's like a super highway to skipping the brain. You go right from here. Uh, you know, I'm gesturing again, of course. You know, from <laughs> heart to heart. Yeah. When you go nonverbal, that is that is way more of an emotional plane than verbal. That's at least my experience. And if you're yeah. a verbal performer, it doesn't mean you can tune this out. You just simply, I mean, who can't have enough? visual accent to their their show i mean it's like you're never done yeah yeah now now the uh one of the things that i read that the way that you communicate is through an is this an actual thing gramala is that an actual sort of like yeah um can you explain what that is or like yes i studied commedia dell'arte in the beginning and the the Ita- it's an italian form of mask theater that's very physical and Dario Fo is from Italy and was one of the um, favorites among my teachers and friends because he he wrote theater that was supposed to be very physical and sometimes had gibberish in it. And there, there's not much really gibberish you see formalized in acts around you, but he did it and he called it Gramolo. And he, I think he had some cultural base for it. And then I started using that word too because it's kind of cool, you know, it's not, it's some way, I've made up most of mine, but I think, it's more interesting if you rather is, is if you come from a tradition. And so I do. I mean, Gramolo was a way that the little villages in Europe that were they might have been close together in distance, but they, they spoke differently, maybe maybe a different dialect or maybe a completely different language. And so Gramolo could cut through that 
And you could also sneak in little subversive messages. Like, ah. like the, the, there were censors, you know, there was no freedom of speech. And if you said something critical of authorities with, you know, you go, and you might be making fun of the way the queen dresses. And, you know, with gra- and if they, they got mad, you go, I didn't go, I went to, you know, they pull so, up their Google Translate and they're like, actually, <laughs> I, I have the Gramolo uh, app. And that, that yeah, is not what I, I think the Google Translator, what you're doing is steampunk right now. <laughs> so how, how old were you when you studied Commedia dell'arte? I was in my early 20s. Okay. And how, how did that, because you did that in California, so you traveled across the country to do that. Yes. Um, I thought I was taking a year off of college. At least I was presenting it that way to my parents because, um, uh, um, well, I never went back, you know. You know, the, you know, the irony is, I, is I'm now mentoring first-generation college students. Somerville has a lot of immigrants, and, and I'm really enjoying mentoring immigrant students whose parents never went to college. They're going to college, and then at some point I have to level and go, you know, I, I didn't graduate from college myself, but... This but, degree uh, is just photoshopped. <laughs> this degree is all just physical comedy. <laughs> I just bought that on eBay. <laughs> so, but you, you have a connection to the Northwest because didn't you go to Reed College yeah. for? Yeah. Like, oh, how did you find out? From, oh my gosh, I thought that was unknowable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must have. I mean, it's not. I, I just can't remember why. You know, because usually it originates you somehow. Anyway, I went to Reed College. Uh, there was a. By the way, that's where I learned juggling. And then I went to Del Arte, which is also in the north. It's in Northern California. Yeah. And that was the undoing of my uh, anthropology studies at Reed College. And then when I got fascinated with working with uh, non-English audiences, I was doing festivals a lot in Asia, for example. Um, that suddenly realized that was my anthropology. Yeah. Mm. I was looking for a component that was common to many cultures. And most humor isn't but there is that little bit that is and that was that's really what my my work is all devoted for to is yeah. that little s- sliver that uh that we all feel you know and then by the way i use the word feel as as, as a man who often quotes his feelings for most of his life and finally you know on stage i would let emote like crazy and then i realized i shouldn't just do this on stage but i feeling is really an important part of what i what i'm interested in conveying on stage yeah. So even at Oyster Festival, I have just this much time, like, you know, like, you know, seven, eight minutes, if that. Um, I want to, to, to take to take all of us, you know, into a little little imaginative journey where we just feel different things. Yeah. Now, right, let's back up a little bit. So you said you got into juggling at Reed College. Were you part of the juggle? How did, like, you just, like, trip yeah. and end up with juggling clubs in your hands? Yeah, or? I was tripping and I was like... Um, yeah. Wait, you meant trip as in, like, fall, but... <laughs> oh, 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 I, I meant... Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> no, that was a time when, when uh, you know, back we're come full circle because now tripping is, is now back in as long as you do it with the correct set and setting, you know, so... Yeah. Genetics. It was that was that was where I experimented with it. I don't know why I'm talking about experimenting with hallucinogenics, but um, at, there was your virtual we background has us thinking we're, we're, we're yeah yeah the northern light background right. Well, I guess oh, oh right that's that's what they are. In fact, I went to Alaska where I saw the northern lights right after right after Del, to save money to go to Del Arte as a college dropout. I went to Alaska and got I I was uh, in the salmon industry. Were you oh, on, yeah. on the ship or processing? 
I was hoping for that ship job because that was 3% of the take. That was, you know, we all fought for that. In fact, I was fighting for any job at all. I, I went the year after a record haul of uh, pink salmon. And so all of us heard about all the money to be made in Alaska. And so I went with everybody else. There was too many of us, but I, I outlasted some of them. And um, I remember buying their tents. Because when I went to Alaska, I just brought like a suitcase into the woods. I bought <laughs> a suitcase from like Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, I just, God, it's, there was something really cool about being desperate then. There really was. Yeah. Yeah, because when you're desperate, you just, you you, you have to make things work. So when I started performing, I was very motivated because I, you know, I had no college degree and I had no, um, yeah. no marketable skills. And um it just makes you work harder and I'm afraid I'm I'm missing some of that in a way, but, uh, but I, I have family and all that stuff. So that, well, I, some of them that came back, I feel like in the pandemic where art, like good art was created out of desperation, you know, to try and like, it looks like you even did some stuff where you were out doing shows on community sidewalks or doing door to door shows. Yeah. Oh, right. Right. In fact, I was at the moment I was thinking of promoting an idea that there should be a, every city that, like cities that consider themselves aware or cosmopolitan have a poet laureate. Maybe you've heard of that, right? Yep. yep. Well, I think cities should also have a jester laureate. <laughs> and so during the pandemic, I was uh, trying to act out. In fact, I actually got paid by the city to do that. Um, it turned out to be harder than I expected because uh, it was a lot of coordination to show up and meet a, a single household, for example, yeah. at a certain time. You know, I'd make a tour. I'd see like 10 of them in a row, but that was a lot of work. And then it, it, it is kind of hard to, when you're used to large crowds to work for a crowd of three, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I felt I was doing something that was important for the community. And so, I think so too. And so you're yeah. doing shows like on someone's porch or? Yeah. Well, they'd be on the porch. I'd be in the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be right on the side. Some of those all sidewalks. I, sometimes I'd step off this gutter onto the curb to get eight inches higher for the dramatic moment. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> this is something I think is so cool is that you always are aware that you have this distance to the, to your nearest audience member that you should not get that distance any closer until you have a reason to do it so that you can put that here. I come coming closer because mm-hmm. I'm, it's an added drama. I, you might do it unconsciously, you know, but but if a performer comes on stage and immediately wants to get too close to the audience, I think they've sort of blown their water a little bit. They've little done little. They ha- they've wasted a chance to because it's it's big. Mm-hmm. Just like I sometimes at the end of, when I do my long show, most of my shows are forty five to sixty. When I do the long one, there's not a word spoken. I'm presenting myself as if I can't speak English, and then I really like to break character only at the end of the show. I'll come out for a bow. Or if they, you know, and then I will, I like to thank the host. Uh, and that yeah. first moment you clear your throat and say a word, uh, you know, is really pregnant. It's yeah. Really, so you might as well say something that's, you know, so soulful, you know, meaningful. And those sponsors who help us, just like at Moisture Fest, all those, all those volunteers who work so much hard, they get there earlier than we do and they leave later. Yeah. Really great to remember that. And they work and more than eight minutes. That, <laughs> yes right yeah, yeah we gotta re- we gotta, we forget sometimes how much people do it without gratification we get yeah. gratification every time we work yeah that's, that's why you probably love doing what you do because you get thanked every time 
Yeah. Almost every time. And you, when you were doing those, um, like during the pandemic, you, you know, you were forced to adapt. Did you ever like go to the wrong house? And they're like, this guy is the weirdest DoorDash ever. <laughs> I think <laughs> the, the so. Census guy's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Some of them went to the right house, but they forgot or somebody else. There, oh. there wasn't someone there, but I, I didn't want to waste a trip to be a neighbor. And then I remember like one, someone was like holding like a, like a little kid and they kept trying to get the little kid to look at me because the little kid was, wasn't expecting this, you know, and, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, I think that's that amazing, man. I love it. Yeah. Oh, the idea what? of not being on stage or doing a street show, but just like, I, I love the idea of coming into your comfort place, your, your, your porch, your yard, you know, and um, I was also interested in not doing material, by the way. Yeah. The audience, it kept getting billed that I was doing a little mini show. I, I wasn't trying to do, I wanted to just sort of, you know, like notice them and just comment on I'm making something on the spot. Yeah. But it kept being presented. He's going to come and do a little show for you. I would imagine that Clowns Without Borders tours sort of helped sort of with that. Yes. Do that. The concept was lots more and more performers want to do these Clowns Without Borders tours. You're not making money, but at least you're not losing money. And then they come home and they can't wait to do the next one. When I'm thinking... Meanwhile, why not bring that home? Every single town, city that we live in, there's lonely people. Yeah. Why can't we take that ethos? Is that the right word? That, that feeling and bring it to your community? Because, you know, I'm sure you, both of you know how to make people feel good and don't need to have a stage, don't even have, have props and costume, but you can just do a little something. And that that's what, so yes, Clowns Without Borders, happened before the pandemic and i wanted to bring that and i would encourage all of us why not we don't it's not it doesn't have to be brilliant or it just has simply it's just the effort is made and people can feel it when you uh want to go <laughs> now the you talked a little bit about like finding the you know the still the little sliver that we all have in common the the funny that we all have in common and how like going to these different countries or it was your sort of anthropology. Now I read a lot of like this kept coming up in the things that I read about you is that national geographic sort of played a role in your fascination with other cultures. Uh, what sort of role did it play? Well, hang on. Like I, where, where did, Oh, I, I read that you got tipped national geographics. Oh, they're both true. You know, you know, people don't just throw away those magazines. So I never had to subscribe. Uh, and, uh, I, they, in fact, those articles that I so adored then, I suppose if I revisited it with a 2023 head, I'd find all kinds of problems, you know, cult, you know, yeah. it was written, you know, usually by white people and it, you just go on from there. But nonetheless, they were bringing to my eyes how differently people do things, even though basically we, we have very similar desires, but, but somehow we, we rebuild culture in all these ways, different ways. So you were going somewhere with this, Matt, and I want you to keep me on point because I'm forgetting here. It was about, um, oh, how it affected. Yeah, how it affected your sort of interest in anthropology and sort of how that helped you continue on doing what you do. Um, it, I, one of the criteria, there's like lots of criteria that we all have for our show, you know, like, like I, I have the criteria that I, I, 
I steal less jokes than I used to, you know, like I said, I don't <laughs> want to steal anything now, but you, you make these criteria. And one of them was that it was not language dependent, but it also meant to make people feel no like put down humor, even though I'm not some, some nudge who's going to be all against people who, who, who throw in, you know, you do what you do, but mm -hmm. I didn't want to have anything that was put down. And if in another, and sometimes you have to control the crowd. Sometimes the crowd will do something imp improper and you need to control it. If you don't got words, I'd use, I'd use, this uh like what do we have in common that will squelch maybe someone getting too close to the art to the performer and so you might you can puff yourself up you can you can glare all these little gestures i i study like a scientist now ami doesn't have to do with it i live with ami and she she's just um and natural some of us are just natural uh at being like she could never she couldn't be a poker player and lie about her hand you know <laughs> So uh, I would just study what are those little things. And some of them are tremendously subtle. That's, that's where I love. I, I almost wish I didn't like subtlety so much, but I just adore it. And so it <laughs> means you have to be lit properly and be elevated so they can see your yeah. whole body. So you have to be indoors most of the time. Um, because after the pandemic, all the outdoor performers got work first because that's what we wanted. We, we needed that. But bring it back to National Geographic, I wa was just so curious how to, um, to get people to relate when they knew we had nothing in common, nothing mm -hmm. at all. And you got tipped. There was a tip. I, I don't know about that. What was that? You got tipped for a gig in National Geographic? No, I, I was. Um, this is way back when I was a kid. I ah. think I was doing a paper route and they would sometimes one of the paper route people would give me National Geographics and that died. I, I mean, you know, people just don't throw them away. And so that's how. Yeah. That the guy was like, you've carried enough uh, dead trees around on your bicycle. Here's some more. <laughs> You know, you know that feeling you get when the papers are, you know, out of the sack and it's so much lighter. Here, here's a stack of National Geographic. Right. The trees are not so dead. You're moving the spirit of the pulp paper. It's coming back to you, recycled, yeah. just glossy paper. <laughs> so, how long did you have a paper actually, route for? Oh, a year or two. Ah, it's <laughs> you learn a lot doing a paper route. <laughs> yeah. You want to make kids do that now, though. There was there was one customer who who would she would talk to me, and I didn't I didn't realize then she was just super lonely. But she told me how she worked for the FBI, and she once showed me this bullet wound because she was chasing a criminal or two criminals. She had this bullet wound, and then every week it was a new story, and I it took me the longest time to figure out, baby, there's something weird here, and I probably don't feel comfortable coming into your house hearing about you you chasing criminals from the FBI. Do you think like, she... I had a bad show once that hurt just as bad. <laughs> I, I misdelivered. You know, Sunday that, that's paper. a great story. Did you talk to performers about having a badge so bad that you feel humiliated? You know, a bomb. Well, well, yeah, your... a few. We don't we don't dive into it, but we feel free to, to love tell us. That... Well, when, perfor when performers get together, there's often stories about what happened in some of your weird gigs. Yeah. And some of your favorites to you are the times you had a disaster situation and you saved it but the other performers listening to it you store stories almost would rather hear the times when you were when you crushed but not you were crushed they like yeah it's, your soul like, crushed. it's like yeah <laughs> and it turned i think there's something so fantastically horribly disgustingly awful that's wonderful because as well you might you I, i'm sure you never bombed but oh all the time oh, all the time <laughs> no you so, know what it's like 
and you're often afraid to talk about it because it's you don't want to put out there like we're not we're not sharing this recording with anybody are we we're not no 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 one listens so we told you that earlier so performers often like to talk about the, the humiliating moments because they 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 they're soul sucking mm-hmm. and because they're so bad many new performers most of them who if you do comedy you're going to have a time and they don't make them laugh yeah. or I think there's at least one magician here, like Lou. You, yep. If you do magic, magic and comedy have something in common that if you fail at a magic trick or you fail at a comedy, you're a jerk. Yep. <laughs> so you feel so awful. Many of the beginners never do it again. And so immediately we clear half the field because our work is so fun to do once you get past the bombing yeah. mm-hmm. or at least the, get past the freaking bomb. If you never bomb again, maybe you're not testing yourself far yeah. enough. Yeah. But the point of the whole story is it's it's a good way of of uh, thinning out the competition because <laughs> if you, you guys are still doing it, so you obviously were able to lick your wounds and come back. Yeah, I just got it. comfortable with sucking and that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he doesn't there know what to do when people laugh, that's the thing. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> well, you have a wonderful laugh, by the way. And we in Boston are the originators of the show car talk it's a bunch of mechanics wow. you've yeah. heard of car talk oh, click yeah. and clank, i think right yes yes click i think the uh, beloved uh uh tom aliazzi he he died a few years ago um he lived a good long life but we loved his laugh so much and it yeah. it just at and and when this is a small room um it's nice to have that and anyway i when I when you guys reached out about this podcast, I was saying, "Oh, you guys create a little bit of an audience yourselves." <laughs> well, I think with the you know the going back to the bombing thing, it's like because when you are a professional performer, when you're a professional, you probably are doing your job, you know, well. That's why you're a professional. So when you have a bad show, it's like a little bit more rare, and sometimes it's like, "What? How? What happened there? What did you know? It's the same stuff, the same, you know." And, and so that's the thing, like. Those are the shows I remember the most is the ones that were just so bad and so difficult or challenging mm-hmm. that, you know, because it's more rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, you're doing stuff that you most of us, uh, if you're working solo, you're not getting enough support sometimes, you know, from from a whole writing team. And I often wonder, like, uh, can you imagine if just the way like um Conan or Conan or um, Saturday Night Live or Jimmy Kimmel, they all have writers, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Imagine if we variety artists had a writing team, you know, to, to sort of more bomb proof your work. Yeah. And uh, in, in England, I often think about Rowan Atkinson because he's, he's, I think he's part of our tribe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Bean, his character, he's, I would, wouldn't it be just so cool to be in his writer's room? Where they're coming up with visual humor and gags because he created, I mean, I just like, I almost want to quit my job when I realized he comes up with that great material. Like every week he would do it, you know? Yeah. But, but it clearly was a team. And I've now tapped into the benefit of having a team where once, in fact, it just happened today. We had people come over um, once a month. We we look at each other's work and show our new stuff. And, And it turns out to be, it doesn't make you more derivative. It makes you more you yourself and you get your, yeah having people look at your work and giving you helpful to not create in a vacuum. I think exactly. Yeah. I'm trying to think, how can we do that concept, which is, which we both agree is, is hugely powerful. Like at moisture fest, I'm thinking I'm, I'm just now 
I'm just riffing. Go, what were you saying? We, in 2020, we had a the exact same thing scheduled every week, but then of course 2020 canceled. So um, there was talk like of, a like a an open mic where we can workshop you know, workshop ideas with each other. Um, and hmm. so we we might bring it back. We're talking about. We're yeah. talking about I'll, I'll help out. I'll, I'll help out with that. We got All right. a couple issues. I, I have we a got, friend in uh, Seattle who can maybe look around. Are you good? And I'll be willing to host and continue on even if I'm the only uh, joker who shows up, you know? <laughs> well, we'll invite you to our writing group and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll send you an invitation on Facebook or something. Yeah. You're welcome. All to you need it. is a room. A mirror is nice too, you know? That's yeah. all. And, so how and, did you come up with um, Alex, the jester character? Is there a story behind the coming up with that character? I think I was um, just doing anything, you know, like a, grabbing this or that. And then I got a booking to do a, uh, I think a walk around show for a company that was doing a medieval theme. And they said, like, could you do a jester? And I went, uh, of course. And then just like the, just for last one, I didn't have my French act worked out. Because you know when you when you start on you say you got to say yes right <laughs> and then and then figure out what the sh- what the hell am I this do you know and so I I, I put on the, I found a Bowery Jester costume and it, it combined mischief juggling music I love doing like the the, the, the recorders mm-hmm. it just sort of combined a whole bunch of things and that was one of the few times where there was like a moment like oh man this 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 is what I, I'm not going to go back to. The, 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 re- thing, yeah. the recorders is great. It's one of the few videos I've watched recently where I brought my wife over to watch it, and she was um, she was glad with the time she spent watching the video I made her watch. That is a <laughs> by the way, that is a huge compliment. I ta- uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> and that's something I'm really looking forward to at Moisture Fest is to create another video through because they have there's a live supportive audience. Yep. They always get a good background environment, and um, I, I'm. I'm going to change it for this festival. Some of the stuff I did last year, but I want I want to see how quickly we can get the ball rolling because there's a part of me that likes creating intrigue and not necessarily going right away into the into into last. But now I'm I'm thinking I've, I've explored that path. You know, the more of a Andy Kaufman esque where you just you know make the audience on edge and wonder what the hell is going to happen. Just yeah. get right to it. And <laughs> at Moisture Fest, you get that. Um, the the pit band or what do you call them the, the there's a live band there yeah. who can help you bring you bring you right there and create a mood and create interest instantly because they're they're, they're that's that's what that's the whole that's one of the joys of moisture fest you, you you're collaborating with live musicians yeah and so more- I've worked out a new opening and a new closing and I can't wait to uh, wait to connect with the band again yeah exciting now how did you get involved with the moisture festival. Um, on the East Coast, Avner was creating something called FizzGig. Does that sound familiar? It was kind of a little like a version of that. And um, you would do it between usually Christmas and New Year's. Um, he also had, he had the uh, Mike Levine was the other person partner with them to give him his props. And they created, they had like physical comedy every night for, you know, um, for a week. And the, the one struggle was, well, it wasn't struggling in some ways, an opportunity. They had a wonderful theater, the Portland Repertory Theater, um, and they had it at a good rate because it was between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. And so he got they got a lot of good stuff, kind of like Moisture Fest. The one thing is that snow would sometimes happen and totally ruin things. Ah, and geez. so so anyway, he but he recommended me and um, 
And I wish there was more moisture fest type things around. And maybe there will be. I mean, there was a time a bunch of years ago when I was starting out when there was more um, festivals devoted to, to to physical performing styles. And then hope hope, hope, hope that it comes back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I hope so, too, because, uh, you know, I, I think it's a growing art form. I think I'm seeing more and more. I mean, Louis and I are, you know, involved in booking and we're seeing more and more people I, I've never even heard of. Mm-hmm. And I was like, almost, I thought I knew everybody. Well, I know that feeling. So isn't it a delight that right when you think you've known them all, so, someone comes out of the woodwork. Or they might not think it was woodwork they came out of, but they might go, yeah. what the hell have you been? Yeah. But, but the whole <laughs> point is there's more of us than we realize. Yes. And with greater connectivity of social plat- media platforms, there still is. And there's also, I mean, I, I really like the part where they're trying to develop that and they have, you know, young people. Yes. So it's, so it's, so it's a, con- it's, so it's refreshing itself. Well, I think that's um, one of the great things with social media is it does raise awareness of what we do, where a lot of times if you try to describe what a physical comedian, people are like, I don't know, but they're like, Oh wait, I saw that video of whatever that my buddy shared me. Mm. Right. In fact, you bring up a question, like what do we all have in common that we can name that an audience would recognize like physical comedy is common we all do that yeah but that you're right what the, that's like a jargony word right i think moisture fest might be about variety arts might that might mm, be yeah, yeah. that's still slightly jargony but maybe through just brute force we'll get the audience to, to learn so that not just seattle people but people all over the country go, oh let's go see a variety, variety show i think in the old i mean it had a different connotation before but the whole point is uh, a way of describing what we do in as few words as possible that that was would help marketing, wouldn't it? That's. I feel like we just got a little glimpse of your primal talk TED talk there. <laughs> I think you have to describe for the people listening on audio, but yes, <laughs> thank you, Matt. Um, we don't want to take too much of your time. I do have two more questions on my end. Um, one is I wanted to ask you because you were the state U.S. State Department brought you in to entertain or hold on sorry you performed uh, in, russia. in russia as cultural ambassador that was my yeah, last okay. that was that was so <laughs> but not just russia you it sounds like you went to a, a lot of other places too right? no it was russia russia was okay. where i was where i was hired by the state department so that was a more of an a i mean i think in other countries sometimes that's the intent to bring cultural represent artists from many countries you know they when you have big you know international festivals um but the russia one was specifically by the state department hired you know and what was so cool about that, well, it wasn't until they invaded Ukraine, but back yeah. then I was thinking, I mean, because Russia really venerates circus artists. Mm. They venerate stage clowns. Ah. They they also venerate uh, family theater. They really respect these, you know. Uh, and when I went there, they actually had reviewers for all those three disciplines. Wow. Like wow. professional yeah, critics who write about like family theater, like that doesn't happen here, or or yeah. or stage clowns, they, that doesn't happen here. And uh, there was you all also get spoiled quickly because I think they've got like a everyone sort of has a job there. They might not have to work that, that hard. But I remember one time doing a little. I was working this little little theater. I had must have had like ten stage hands, and. I was trying to pretend that, yeah, I'm used to having 10 stagehands. <laughs> so, they would, so they would respect me. But like, how do you keep them all busy? You know, no, you don't. it's silly. And they're all trying to help you, you know, and you, you, you know, maybe. Especially when you like crafted your whole life to make your show self, so self-contained. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I remember when, even in this country when it was, 
uh, I would to do my theater show. I wasn't able to get you know the kind of gigs that you could support yourself with with adult crowds. So I wound up getting family theater, and um, yeah, sometimes you get people showing up to your van and all ready to unload, and you're thinking, how can I scale this so that because because sometimes if you say you can all go home that's not the best message to send either you know? yeah 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 do you feel like this russia cultural ambassador was a long game from the cia paper route lady to get you to spy <laughs> i think what you're doing louis is the callback joke <laughs> i'm a big fan of callback jokes it's on my performers they, they pick this out on page 14 <laughs> Well done, Louis. And so you went all the way to Siberia also, right? That was another separate trip to Russia. I went to okay. Siberia. Oh, oh my gosh. The, uh, anyway, I mean, I've seen you. I saw a video of you, Matt, like on one foot. I think you're trying to kick up a bowling ball. I know you got good balance. Um, your callback joke shows intellectual balance, Louis. Um, <laughs> I fancy myself some, having very good balance because and I, and I use it in my act. But in Siberia where they don't plow the sidewalks because it's pretty much a desert. It snows very little. And then when it snows, it packs down. I mean, you think, what, what's the problem? Everyone walks on it, except for me. I think gringo is the wrong word. Um, the non, the non-Siberian. Mm-hmm. I was couldn't. It was like it's. I was slipping. Like I tried to be gallant and like open the door for a well. There are a lot of people well well dressed. I wasn't like in the in the in the frozen lake of Siberia. I was in a very cosmopolitan town called uh, Novi Urdingoy. And so I would lift, open the door for someone, you know, well-dressed. And then I would lose my balance and she would catch me because they know how to walk on this slightly like little mogul-y thing. And I did not. And it was very uh, embarrassing that I, I, I couldn't be smooth. And you were doing shows at theaters and it looks like orphanages also. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, one orphanage, I had to wear a mask. And this is before the pandemic. I thought it was, it was so incredibly hard to perform for the orphans who had masks on, but then it was so important and powerful to show a heart to heart connection that I found my way around it. But I, but I'm just, I'm now, I haven't thought about that since the pandemic. And now, now I think we know a little more about how to work with masks on. It's nice. Yeah. I'm still not advocating for it as far as arts, artistic work. It's really hard to do, but, but yeah. And there, I, there's a video, I, put, I think I put on my YouTube channel, a video of the work in the orphanage. Oh, cool. Um, of in Russia because I wanted to to get some of that video of and it, and I remember leaving they did the, the, the parting was so sweet and wait people wait it was just it was it it, it felt so worth it That's so awesome. worth it to bring to bring to bring your stuff your talents to a deserving audience that never usually sees this kind of stuff is one of the most gratifying things yeah you know. yeah yeah you mentioned sort of uh bringing stuff to people that may not uh, get that. I read an article about you walking around just handing money out in Boston, like your Brewster's millions or something, you know, like, like. Oh, you got to try that. Have you, maybe you've already tried it. Have no, tried I can't, it? I can't say I have done that before. I've oh never had my God. Money to give away. Yeah. Yeah. Giving away. Yeah. Um, it, it's a little surprising at first that it's harder to do than you think. People think that there's a catch. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've been doing this long before YouTube videos. I made actually made a video of it that was at a film festival before there was YouTube. The whole point is that when they don't react, as long as you got one person watching you, or maybe it could be just the camera person, you and the camera person can share an inside joke like they just walked away from money. Yeah. And it's, the non-reaction is funny. But what is even more fun is when they do do something or you ask them to do something, 
and and then especially also the, there's some down out people who could really use some money and then if you like just, just let's look at that little piece down and out people who could use the money you yeah. there's a whole bunch all over downtown in most urban areas why not just you know grab a bunch of fives or, or whatever you want to give away and just do that a whole bunch of times just to have the feeling of what it's like to let go of cash or yeah. no, no, no the, the real feeling is of letting it go so it goes into the hand of someone who needs it more than you know and just and then watch their look and sometimes when they're not sure they should take it because like i say it's harder to to get it into the hands of people than you think mm-hmm. one way that you can give people to take is go you don't have to take all of it just give some of it away yourself pay it forward yeah mm-hmm. and then that'll make people feel like i'm more okay to take the money and then some of them do do that sometimes even with an eyesight especially if you break up the bills and have you, know, you make change or something say like give some to that person and then it's a joke i remember doing it on a train and watching people trying to do it to each other and then they're going this is hard i'm like yeah it is <laughs> but <laughs> then someone comes up to you and gives you more money than you gave away <laughs> Well, this I would call it ROI, right? <laughs> like Our, return on investment. Paper, like the guy <laughs> trading the paperclip for the house. No, everyone should try it. I mean, most of us can afford to give away a, a few bills. And yeah. it's just, it it so disrupts the reality of the world. It's such yeah. a disruptor. It's just, and and you kind of feel like, like it's a way that a more regular working class person can kind of feel like, uh, you, you made some name from some character I don't recognize, but I knew you meant Mr. Big Spender. It makes you who, who did you say? But 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 Brewster's Millions. You ever seen okay, that movie? I, I knew what you meant. I still don't know who, what Brewster's Millions are, but it was I a Richard Pryor movie in the eighties. So, uh, but since I'm seeing money. you on video, Matt, I saw you re- do the the primal talk that said exactly what you needed to say. <laughs> Brewster's Matt, Millions. Matt, yeah, Matt's <laughs> holding his hands like he's got cash. His but palms here, facing his face. Here's the thing with he's Brewster's Millions. Together. He was not allowed yeah. to give away the cash. Oh yeah, he he had to buy things that he didn't <laughs> yeah. keep though, right? So, so your analogy was garbage. Okay, sorry. I don't know. <laughs> like Scrooge McDuck. No, there he doesn't go. give away money either. Oh, jeez, <laughs> brutal. <laughs> All right, so podcast will finish with Matt and Louie engaging in a food fight. <laughs> so people can see your videos. Uh, what is your YouTube channel? Uh, Alex the Jester. Alex the Jester, and then also alexthejester.com. You can check him out there and Facebook also. You're on there. But, yep. I also have live. I mean, the show I do at Moisture Fest is, is not a gesture. It's livealex.com. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a separate website. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I know. I was reading that. I'm like, is it Live Alex or Live Alex? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> live Live. Yes. Just about, well, I, I thought Live Alex, but you're right. I think Live. If I had to say it on the phone, maybe I should say livealex.com and they'll know what I'm. Yeah, my uh, my website is comedystuntshow.com and some people go comedystuntshow.com. I'm like, what? <laughs> Comedystuntsgrowth.com. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I need that website. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to join us and we're excited to see you at the Moisture Festival yeah. this year. It's going to be awesome. Very excited. Yeah. Let's get All you right. on thanks Broadway. Out. See you, buddy. See you guys. <laughs>
together that is completely different than this podcast and it is called the odd and off beat podcast and you can find that on any platform that you get your podcasts at if you would like to find out information on louis and i's shows you can do so by visiting louis site which is louis fox with two x's dot com and matt baker's site comedy stunt show dot com spelt the way you would expect it to be spelled yes and we want to thank all the volunteers, performers, sponsors, donors, board members, producers of the Moisture Festival for helping make this thing happen. Absolutely. A lot of moving parts, and they do a wonderful job at creating a very unique experience that you cannot get anywhere else. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. And stay moist.